Welcome to The Lowdown, a podcast of news and ideas from the Columbia Alumni Association. If you haven't heard of the Columbia Center for Jazz Studies, that's a shame, but we can't be too disappointed in you. After all, the center is still relatively new. It was founded in 1999, and since then, it has been integrated into the core curriculum at Columbia College. That means a lot of college students are getting exposed to music that isn't really topping the charts nowadays. But the Center for Jazz Studies takes a more broad view of the genre than one might initially think. Courses at the center look at jazz as it relates to technology, community, innovation, and even neurology. It's that last approach that you're going to hear about today. You're going to hear vibraphonist Stefan Harris demonstrate jazz improvisation as it relates to issues of mind-brain coordination and creativity. You're also going to periodically hear questions posed by Columbia professor of neuroscience, Michael Shadlin. Also, just in case you're wondering, a vibraphone kind of looks like a giant xylophone. Okay, here's Stefan Harris. So what we just did, we played through the form. Everything that happened the first time we played, the form was just a reference for us. There are no rules <laughs> in improvisation. You can stick to the form if you choose to. If, if something interesting happens and you go off, this is where we talk about jumping without a net. This is where trust comes in. Although I don't, I don't know them very well, I trust them. And I, I can go to Russia and play with musicians. I won't speak the same language at all, but you get on the stage and you have love, trust, and respect. And that's a fundamental part of creativity and innovation. And actually, we've talked, Michael and I have talked about this a little bit. I actually think creativity is a little bit overrated. I think innovation is far more valuable. And the innovation happens in the realm of connectivity. We collectively innovate. It's nothing that I'm doing on my own. No one of us is making magic. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit today, but I, I want to be here as a reference for you. It's like you get to pick our brains, and we can go in a bunch of different directions. But at some point, I do want to get into the idea of how we're doing this. What, what are the decisions that are being made? And I don't know if there is a bad decision. I don't know that I think of it that way. The, the, the issue with saying something's a bad decision is that it's only a bad decision if it can't be, if the other musicians around you can't justify it. So anything I play, if it doesn't go well, it's their fault. <laughs> you understand? And if he plays something and I can't hear it and I don't understand what he's playing, it's my fault. It's not wrong. He can go any direction. It's a question of how prepared am I for this situation? How did I practice? Did I practice a bunch of licks that I'm going to spew out? Or did I practice a fundamental skill set that allows me to be pliable and flexible in the moment? Okay, so Michael Shadlin is going to facilitate a conversation and a discussion back and forth. So we're going to bring Michael up. Well, I'm kind of curious since you just brought up creativity and innovation. Like, what is the, uh, in your view, the distinction? Well, for me, I think of, I think of creativity as, as, as this, this it's, it comes from the ego. Right when we look at when we look at time and we look at material, what did we really create? I mean, we're all a part of this big mess here, but who created anything here? Creativity is, is this egotistical thing, in my opinion. It's like I'm going to take this and I'm going to hold it this way because no one's ever done that, and then I'm going to take this one and hold it this way. Oh yeah, woo! Never been done before. Which is not to just I'm not I don't mean to ridicule creativity, but I look at it like as a species. I think. We have to be concerned with moving forward. I think there's something fundamental in us that wants to move forward and affect change in a positive way. So when I think of creativity, if this is the, the body of our species, 
you could be creative, over, creative throwing bottles against the wall and singing a B flat and it's never been done before. It has no impact in moving us forward as a people. Cult, whether it's culturally or genetic, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. I think it's just not doing anything to affect this general body. Whereas innovation is something that happens inside of here. It happens when you take the, what exists here and you can see something unique. It's not a matter of me creating an idea, it's that, it's that I can look at what's happening here and I see a connection. And when I introduce that connection, I think it creates a type of momentum. And that's exactly what's happening on the bandstand. I'm not really creating an idea. I'm gonna give you a quick example of this. What I'm doing is I'm looking for what holds something together. I have no idea what they're getting ready to play, right? They don't even know, you ready? One, two, three, four. So did I create that? No, I, I, I sensed it, I perceived it. I don't know that he was thinking about, were you consciously playing in time or did you just play that gesture? I just played. See, he wasn't even playing in time, but I heard the, the rhythm in what he played and I picked up on it. You understand? I didn't create it, it came from the community. It's, my, it's not my job to create and dominate, it's my job to be an organizer, if you will. That's my role and it's, it's endless. I tell you, when I first started touring, I learned the hard way. I, I, saw, I was in college at Manhattan School of Music, and I got a record deal with Blue Note. And there was all this attention and momentum, and I, you know, I got my mallets, and I was ready to go. I got on stage, and I went, and everybody said, "Wow, he's really fast. That's great." You know, the second song, whoa, man, and he's got red mallets too. This is awesome. My twenty-five dollars are worth it. Then the ballad came. And really, after, I tell you, after after the third song, I was done. Every night when I started touring, I was done. Creatively, I was bored with myself. The other, If I was bored, I know the other musicians were bored. If we were bored on stage, I know the audience was bored. And it was because I was trying to generate all the creative ideas. Once I learned to shift my perspective to listening, to empathy, as uh, Vijay mentioned earlier, I couldn't agree more. It's one of the things that... It's a fundamental part of my ambition as a human being, separate from music, is to spread empathy and talk about its importance. Um, but once I learned to be more empathetic, I found that we could play five-hour concerts and never repeat ourselves. Because it's completely unpredictable what's going to happen. We couldn't have predicted what happened. I counted one, two, three. And you could see that it would have continued to unfold from there. So how long, did, how long when you would, just let's go back to the beginning of that piece, okay? And so in your mind, you know, I'm just curious whether you all felt it gelled at the same point that I felt it gelled. Just now, or just the first now. piece? First piece. I get, wow, it's hard to remember. That's the thing, things go in the mind and they're gone, because you're so, I don't know, in this business, I, you're so focused on the moment. Some people listen to themselves after concert. I never listen to myself. I'm so not interested in what I played 10 oh, minutes ago. You know, yesterday, it's, I'm so, I'm just concerned about what is it, what it is I can perceive in the moment, and beyond just what's happening from the instrument here, it's also about sound in general. Like I hear all the sounds in this room right now. Like I heard that over there, that dot, dot, dot. You heard the rhythm of, I don't know what it was. Did you do that? I don't know. So, but like I hear that, you know, like I hear the rhythm in, when people are speaking. And I also hear the, this, this there was a, a boom, boom, and then you said this riddle. And it went this way. There was a thing that moved this way. So it's beyond just pitch. Like I, if, if that happened on the bandstand, I probably would try to continue that gesture. Because I would feel it move across the band, and I probably would do something like that. If you're not perceptive, you don't understand where it came from, then it looks like I'm just doing this thing. But it's always, I'm doing what the music wants to be done. 
in theory. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to remember when it gelled, but there were definitely, there, there was something that happened that I, I will admit was forced. Like I pushed us into getting to the tune too soon. You would agree with that, right? Be careful you answer. <laughs> but we were we were sort of you know I didn't count the tune off I mean I just sort of started hinting at a piece of a melody they all know this melody and then something happened he played it in another key great I started moving it around and then at a certain point I was like okay we're gonna play this in time because I want to demonstrate these points so I made a decision that in a concert I might not normally make it may have just stayed there but we also have to sense where the audience is. If the audience is getting on edge and they're uncomfortable, we adjust to that energy. We, the magic happens when you feel at, at one with your audience. And you absolutely can feel it, you can sense it. You can actually sense it before you start playing. And in fact, with my, with my regular ensemble, we don't do a set list. We are backstage and everybody's joking, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I'll have, I'll just write like 20 songs or something on a piece of paper, man, and they, and they never take it because they know that I never follow a set list. And as we're walking out on stage, I get a sense just by how people greet us, what we should play. Not necessarily the song, but how I should touch the instrument in that moment. And the energy in this room was very still. It's probably why I started the way I started. If the energy was a little more like this, I probably would have jumped right in. Maybe the tune would have just started. So there is this interaction emotionally between what's happening here and what we're getting back from the audience. But again, it's, it comes down to your perception. How aware are you? That is the, in my opinion, I think that's the most fundamental skill to creativity, innovation, to improvisation. I'm, I'm very analytical and I take everything apart. I have books and books full of thoughts and exercises and things. But on the other hand, I, I stay very close to the idea that music has to be organic, right? And so phrasing and rhythm, from my perspective, completely comes from language. There's absolutely no divide in the way that I'm, between the way that I'm speaking with you right now and the way that I phrase. It's absolutely the same, pedal of B flat for me, a low B flat. So as I'm talking to you right now, this is the rhythm that I play with. You understand, like if I, were to, if I were to make a statement and I were to take the words away and put syllables, if I were to take the words away, you understand, there's no difference, there's no difference. All the natural inflection, all the natural inflection, it's hard for me to use words, but I can imitate myself and play that. So literally when I'm playing, I'm not thinking triplets, I'm not thinking swing, I'm not thinking anything like that. I'm, I'm literally talking. And because we all speak the same language, we understand how to respond to each other. Sometimes it's about taking the tail end of what someone says, but sometimes there's, there's space for a direct response. So for example, if, if I say, if I say, okay, Saba sudubuwado de sudubuwado da ah sudubuwado da ah sudada no parawada se ah sudada you understand oh what sudubuwado da but you see that there was a moment where we come it was very evident we're not using words we don't know the the content of the story but it's clear rhythmically it's it's clear in terms of the contour of the english language that we were finished at a specific point and that same connection to rhythm plays out on our instruments so for example if i say to jeremy and we've never done this so if i said saba so de sudada 
You see, he affected my dynamic, you understand? I started much more intensely. I slowed down the way that I was speaking. I'm adjusting to him, right? We're adjusting to one another. Now, if I do that same thing and I happen to move my hands and he happens to respond with some drumsticks, can, can you speak and respond at the same time? So if I say, Sada, so do, 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 day. Did you notice that three of those notes I played perfectly with him? I had no idea where he was going to play, and I, and I haven't played with him before. But I'm in tune with how he speaks. I'm listening to the rhythmic cadence of the way that he communicates at the drums. And I can, you get the sense of like, you can hear where someone's going to complete a thought. You knew I was getting ready to finish, right? You can sense it coming. And the same thing happens with music. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. On the one hand, it's about trusting the people around you, but on a deeper level, it's really about trusting yourself. That's the hardest part about improvisation is this jump without the net. Are you going to be okay? And especially as a, if I'm soloing, I kind of have the power to bully and to say, no, 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 we're going to the bridge right here. I'll just play a piece of the bridge, and they're like, all right. But that's because I'm, I, if I were to play like that, I'd be. it's because I'm afraid of myself. I'm insecure. I don't have the confidence that I'm going to be okay on the other side. And really, the only way to develop that confidence is what is hard work in the practice room. It's developing your ear. When you have a good ear, you can trust yourself. You can let go. And even if you get lost, hopefully we all get lost. I mean, what fun is it not to be lost? There's no sense of discovery. You can't be innovative unless you make mistakes, unless you jump. Otherwise, it's just me playing a whole bunch of stuff that I know. So you want to get lost. That's the whole point of it. Right? But you, don't, you won't have the confidence to get lost if you don't develop a really good ear. Right? And even, and like I said, there's some of it is luck. There are times where I, I actually don't change. You have perfect pitch, right? I, I don't have perfect pitch. I have good relative pitch. And frankly, when Russell played that bass thing a minute ago where I counted one, two, three, I mean, I, I just got the right. No, I, it's hard for me to explain why. Maybe it was intuition or something, but I don't have perfect pitch. But there are times where he may play a note and I may play another note that's completely way off, but psychologically I'm confident and I say you know what it's not wrong I lie to myself it's not wrong are you kidding me it's beautiful and then I turn it into something of beauty now if I'm if I'm insecure I probably will back away and it's, it's it won't be justified it'll, it'll make you uncomfortable the audience feels it when you, when you make a mistake and you feel insecure the audience they feel uncomfortable even if even if they don't know why there's just something going on that doesn't feel right right so Let's, let's keep going talking about this relationship of, of the ear and how, how one may experience sound. For me, sound is not about intervals. I know a lot of times in music theory we teach people to hear intervals and recognize a chord based on it's got a sharp 11 or it's got a flat 9. Music has never been that way for me. My mother's a minister, so I grew up in the black church, and it was like the way I was introduced to music was in such an organic way. It was no, there was no music theory like that. It was always about emotion. It was always about feeling. I remember someone standing up to just say, you know, my brother's been sick. 
And I just want to tell you that he's feeling better. And I just want to thank you. Just for and then the chord would just come in, and it was like so the music was there just to serve the emotion. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I, before I started to formally study music, I actually taught myself to read music and at the piano as a little kid. So I had a, a real passion for it. But once I started to study, I checked out music theory. It made a lot of sense. And then years later, I was like, man, there's something wrong because this. It's, it's an extra step for me to think in intervals because every time I hear a chord, I have a reaction to the chord. It's just not an intellectual reaction first. So I started to revamp, about eight years, I started working on a, a new curriculum design for college jazz education. And uh, one of the first things I started to do was to re-examine how it is that I experience sound and how I can quickly access it. So for example, I'm gonna tell him a pitch. If he plays, a, he's gonna pedal a C, and he's gonna play a type of dominant on the top, a type of dominant set. Okay. Right, so. I can hear what that is, but the reason I know what it is is not because I hear that it's got a sharp 11, it's because it feels like this, play it. And you can all feel that, can't you? Like, how could you possibly mix that chord up with anything else? Play, play a sharp nine, sharp five. Ugh, it's terrible. My body tells me immediately that that's not right. So I have a very immediate physical reaction to sound, and that's how I actually identify chords, by the way they feel to me. And I've taken notes and lots of flashcards <laughs> with my feelings written out. If I feel this way, then I know it's this chord or something very close to it. All right, so I want you to experience this for a second. I've done this for, for eighth graders. I've done this in a, in a boardroom of non-musicians and I can tell you I can take you know, I did this for me in Juilliard I can take six chords whether you're a musician or not and I can get you to hear these six chords in like a half hour right whether you're a musician or not and these are chords that people study in college junior year they're still failing the test right I take it totally away from all of the theory and I get people to identify how their body is reacting to the sound the trick is in theory in my theory is you actually already know the answer your body already has been reacting to these chords for, for years now. So it's just a matter of not taking this step away from the more intuitive nature that we can experience sound. So I, I, want, you to, I want you to feel this. He's going to play that 13 sharp 11 9 chord. And I want you to do this gesture with me. Ready? Let me, let me describe it first. I want you to take your hands like this. I want you to think of it like magic powder. Right? And, and you have to think that it's beautiful, that you're in awe of it. So there needs to be a slight, it's not like a grin. But there needs, your mouth needs to open because it's so beautiful, it's angelic, it's transparent, and it's distant. It's so amazingly massive. It's not something that you can hold. You can't contain the sound. You're in awe of it. And so you have to think about how, how is it that you're going to connect with your audience? It's not your audience's job to appreciate you. That's one philosophy. It's much, a much more of a Western approach, right? We're on this big stage and we present, but jazz is coming from another place. It kind of lives in both worlds. I think this idea of connectivity is really important. It's our job as artists to be aware of who is in front of us and how do we connect with them. If the vast majority of your audience are not musicians, you have to think about where, to, where to, how are they most likely experiencing sound. Most likely it's emotional. So I study from an emotional perspective because I know how to reach people that way. If I sit at the piano, I can talk and tell you a story and, and I can make music that would follow the story because I know the feeling, the feelings of each of the chords, and if, if 
if, I, if there were a group of, well, we, we are here, right? <laughs> if there are, if you, a lot of you are musicians, so if this is a room full of non-musicians, it would feel totally natural to you. I think that's how they experience it. I think when we get on stage, it's incumbent upon us to take risks, to be fearless, to jump without a net, and to also be empathetic to one another, to show joy, to show compassion, to show jealousy also. I mean, we have to be authentic first and foremost. I mean, if I don't, I don't know what it is. For me, if, if that's not a central part of it, then I, mean, I don't want to get on stage to give dissertations. It's not what it, I could do that at home. You know, or I could just go to colleges and give dissertations. When I'm on stage, I'm, I'm looking to be I'm looking to know myself. I'm looking to, to take chances. I'm, I'm looking to be upset. I'm looking to fail. I'm looking to grow. I mean, otherwise, what's the, what's the point? Just to tour? I mean, once, you, once you've been around the world a couple times, it's, it's not really about that anymore. There has to be something special that will make me want to get on the road and leave my family. You know, there has to be something really life-changing. And that's up to me. It's about intention. Which, which brings me to the, one of the points that was discussed up, upstairs, or wasn't. I, I, I'm an advocate of the idea that music is a sonic expression of culture. I don't think you can dismiss the cultural element. I mean, I really, if you're talking about style, I suppose, but for me, if I think about the intention in jazz, the idea that when you think about the blues, the idea that it's a community of people who at the time didn't have a way to express themselves. They weren't allowed to express themselves publicly. You get together in a church, and it's the one time that you can say what's on your mind. And you can stand up and say it in your own way, and everybody be like, that's all right, baby. It's all right. It's that feeling of love, of compassion, and support. And also, this, the feeling of tolerance. Whether you're tall or short, it doesn't really matter from that cultural perspective. And I think that that's why jazz, and not all music, if we're talking about improvisation in the abstract, that's fine. But improvisation in the abstract didn't change the world. Jazz did. Jazz had a major impact around the world. There's lots of forms of music that improvised before the existence of jazz. There's something special that happened in jazz. And I think this idea of community, of support that's embodied in the blues is a great message for our country. It couldn't have happened in any other country. I mean, this collection of people, the type of struggle that we were going through, it's a beautiful lesson that's not only needed here, it's needed all around the world. So I'm okay with the social element. I'm somebody who says, and I'm not a style person, I don't teach style, that's not my thing. You can play, I'm more about authenticity, you should be who you are ultimately, and you should express the sound of the world that you live in. I'm not an advocate for people to transcribe and imitate the bebop era, for what? You're never gonna be Charlie Parker, it's over. And, and if you spend all your time doing that, you miss the point, I mean, we don't get to hear the sound of your generation. We heard the sound of Charlie Parker's generation. You should check it out, but we don't need that anymore. It'll never be as good. So I advocate that you should be as authentic as possible, but the blues is a central part of it. Because the blues is where we learn how to freeze. The blues is where we learn to talk. It's where we learn to, it's where we learn to just stand up and say, <sighs> I'm not, you know, I don't have the answers and what happens in the universe, I don't know. So I don't really like to talk about what I don't know. I know this from experience from doing this, and it's, I could be wrong with all of this as well. But I think it's a matter of choice. I think it's a matter of choice, and I think there's a, a type of natural selection that occurs. If, 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 if society needs to feel a certain thing at a, at a given moment, and an artist provides that, that artist will be popular. If you're in an ivory tower and you have a great idea, a great creative idea, not that that's not important, because that's a, a great idea can be critical to moving us forward in science and 
Edison and also in music. But in terms of popularity, I think it's a matter of choice. If you're authentic and you are someone, if you're, if you're the prom king and you choose to play an instrument, you're probably going to be popular. It's very social. You are who you are and it comes out when you're playing. I like to think that I'm the same person communicating now as, as when I play. I, don't, I like to think there's no difference. So I'm not into the idea of like there is a spiritual way you should play. I think you need to be who you are. She jumped without a net. I like it. I like it. <laughs> to find out more about upcoming events from the Columbia Center for Jazz Studies, visit jazz.columbia.edu. This podcast was produced by the Columbia Alumni Association with editing by Matt Lenz. The music you heard throughout was performed by Stefan Harris on the vibraphone, James Francis on the piano, Russell Hall on bass, and Jeremy Dutton on the drums. Columbia University is a mecca of great ideas in one of the world's greatest cities. And with more than 330,000 Columbia alumni who are leaders in every field imaginable and spread across the world, the Columbia Alumni Association brings you the latest musings, updates, and insights from Columbia University. Learn more about the Columbia Alumni Association at alumni.columbia.edu. And to get even more news and ideas from Columbia, check out thelowdown.alumni.columbia.edu.